Hello and welcome to the first episode of Highlighting Healers. I'm your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and I am a mental health counselor in training. The idea for this show came from a personal desire to learn more about how mental health practitioners actually provide healing for people. And that made me question exactly what does healing mean? I always associate it with the medical idea of nurses and doctors who train extensively to heal the physical ailments that we find ourselves with over time. But I'm also interested in the other kinds of healing. Those that help us change the way that we see the world, not only in our physical lives, but in our emotional lives, our spiritual lives, and our social lives. And so in this first episode, I'd like to shine a light on a mental health practitioner that I have enormous respect for, Dr. Tanisha Greenidge. Dr. Greenidge is a licensed mental health counselor, a school counselor, and an assistant professor at the University of Memphis in the counseling department. I had the pleasure of speaking with her about what it was that brought her to the field of mental health. Here's what she had to say when asked if she considered herself a healer. I want to say yes. I think my clients will definitely say yes. I think I guide or help with a healing process. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I think my job, especially if I think about it from a client's stand, standpoint, is to assist them on that journey, help give them the tools to whatever that looks like for them. If you were to take ownership of that mm-hmm. a little bit, what piece of that would you consider is yours? What are you giving them? Um, I would take the guidance piece of that. Guidance? So helping them find their direction. I think I would take the part of being like an assistant to us. If you think about a chef, there's a chef and like there's a sous chef piece. Mm-hmm. The sous chef helps the chef get their masterpiece kind of made. Gotcha. I would consider myself like the sous chef if you think of it in that. So I'm assisting them to get to whatever that masterpiece is that they want to build. Tell me a little bit about that environment. What does that look like for you, helping clients? I think it it looks like an environment that's warm, an environment that's welcoming, but an environment that saves space for them. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't have space. I think they go to places like friends, family, whoever, to get that space, but those spaces aren't really without judgment or that doesn't mean has some kind of bias in it. Mm-hmm. And this is a space that doesn't have any judgment. The goal is to get you to wherever you want to go for you, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like for them. So my job is just to assist them to find what that space looks like mm-hmm. and what pathway we need to take together to get them there so they can become whatever version of themselves they want to be. I like to think of that concept as um, we have the opportunity to see people exactly as they are today. Mm-hmm. And we don't have all of the past history and the personal experience our own brush of that person we we see them just as they show up because i don't have that background information they can tell whatever their version of the story is authentic to however they see it Mm -hmm. whereas like friends family they have maybe another lens in because they have more information and that may not always be correct information right um i'd like to talk about uh a time in your life that you kind of had that realization of I want to help people. I am good at this. I, this is this is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I've always wanted to do marriage and family therapist therapy since I was a child. Don't ask me how I got there. I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. My middle brother will tell you that that's what I told him I wanted to do as a kid, and he told me, "Well, you have to get a whole PhD to do it." And I said, "Okay." 
So that's how we got to this point. Okay. I think it's more of wanting that desire to help be the therapist that I never really had or mm. be the voice that I never had. So in my family, I'm the youngest. My parents are West Indian. So there's a lot of um, cultural like ways that they treat each other or they operate that doesn't really help. There's a lot more harm and I don't think they realize it. Sure. Given especially like my own parents' history. My mom's mom died when she was 17. Mm. She basically had to take care of all of her siblings. Mm. So my mom is very hard. Very, mm. uh, I was going to say sterile, but very... Um, In survival mode kind yeah, of? Yeah. Very strict. Very... Gotcha. Uh, Last emotion, very, like, very, very firm. So growing up in that environment where I'm the complete opposite, Mm -hmm. there was never really a space to, like, actually express emotions Mm -hmm. and have someone actually hear what you're saying versus yelling back because they don't know how to handle those type of emotions. So I always wanted to be someone like that or someone else who needs it because I know what it's like to live in an environment where emotions are not a real thing in your house. Mm -hmm. So wanting to do that for others... And then I've always loved, like, couples, relationships, how we interact with other people. And I've said, okay, well, marriage and family therapy gets me there. So that's how I got to wanting to do what I do now. This concept of creating a warm environment that someone can be genuinely themselves is, in my opinion, a wonderful goal. In practice, it turns out that requires a lot of work for both people in the room. This topic of family seems especially tricky uh, in creating this environment because I've found that family builds stories about us and they have hopes and dreams for us uh, that don't always line up with the inner world that we create for ourselves. Each of our inner worlds is so different and constantly changing. So it sometimes feels like an insurmountable task to change the image of you that someone has. And that's part of the reason that I started counseling as a career. I want to be able to provide an outlet for people to come in whoever they want to be that day with no previous bias. They can show up as whoever they are and talk about what's affecting their lives the most right then and there. From here, our conversation turned more toward what the therapeutic environment looks like for Dr. Greenidge, as well as what led her to teaching and preparing other future counselors for their careers. And so, can you talk a little bit about um, the teaching aspect of that as well? So, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, you do mm-hmm. currently still see clients? I do. And that is that in a marriage and family setting or or is it more individual therapy it's individual i haven't had couples or families or anything family related since 2014 Mm -hmm. um but i talk with people about family relationships so i still use that same lens when i work with almost all of my clients because family and the relate families and our relationships impact a lot of how we function in society so even if they come in for whatever a piece of it has to do with some family dynamic or some relationship dynamic. So I talk about family, and families and couples or some kind of relationships in most, with most of my clients. It's very rare that it doesn't happen. I think of it as being a gatekeeper to this field. We already have so many people who come to counselors 
needing help because something happened. Someone in their life has caused them to get to this point or something has caused them to get to this point. Mm -hmm. So wanting to be that gatekeeper to make sure that counselors that are going out to help people aren't going to do more harm to their clients than good. And if I could be a piece of that to make sure that I'm helping foster counselors who are going to help people get to whatever that goal is and not hurt them more in this process, then I'm okay with that part. What was your motivation for trying to pursue counseling psych? Um, back in those days, because mm-hmm. I was a psychology undergrad mm-hmm. and then at the marriage and family. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, I felt like, oh, like most of the world thinks, oh, psychologist, there's this top tier, you know, really highly regarded field. But as you go through like counseling programs or counselor ed programs, you realize that the psychologists aren't really doing the work that you need them to be doing. <laughs> or that you really thought that they were doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more, for me, it feels a little medical, sterile, like sure. I'm at a doctor's office, whereas sure. I think counseling is a lot more warm. And mm. I want to know who you are as a whole and how we can get to whatever you want to. So at the time when I wanted to do counseling, it's like, I'm like, oh, I can do counseling in this really, what felt prestigious way and that I can get paid lots of money, which they don't get paid lots of money. But I realized that wasn't my path. What do you get out of helping people? What do you get from your clients? What do you get from your students? Um, that's a loaded question. As a person who's always been a helper, it's that feeling like of being needed or wanted or um, feeling praised or feeling appreciated for helping someone. Mm-hmm. Now, do I help my clients or my students because I want that piece? No, but that's a very added bonus mm-hmm. to it all. So what I get out of it, outside of being able to see students like succeed or seeing that aha moment when they figure something out or they find their pathway throughout the career, sure. it is a piece of it of like that gratification that I'm doing something well. Someone appreciates the work that I'm doing or I'm helping them with. I get it definitely from clients. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast earlier today where a lot of um, like the counseling field is like, yeah, you really don't tell your clients much about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the lady was saying how she has a client who's like, where do you and your friends hang out? I just kind of want to pop by and see you all. And I have a client that's exactly like that. Mm-hmm. And some people think of it as like, oh, that's a little scary. But if you think about it on the flip, they appreciate the work that you do so much that they would love to hang out with you. They appreciate the work that you help them with. They they want to see you in real life. Well, I see my clients virtually. So they want to see you in real life to see who you are because they Mm -hmm. want to get to know a piece of you. So I think the piece of it is that I get that from clients when they say stuff like that or they're like, oh my gosh, you're helping me so much. And they're like, oh, I I just thought I was answering, like helping you think about something a little bit more deeply. Mm -hmm. So I get it from clients, just their appreciation for the work that I'm doing. Because I think most of my clients, we have very genuine connections mm-hmm. where most of them like, we, a lot of them are Florida clients and some of them live like in the areas where I grew up. So they're like, mm-hmm. how, how can I see you? Or if it's mm-hmm. the holiday time, if I run into you outside, like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to say, hey, do you want to acknowledge me? They Or want me to acknowledge you? Um, but it's that piece of, they're just so appreciative of the work mm-hmm. that I'm helping them with mm-hmm. that they're just like, I want to know you outside of this setting, which lets me know, one, we're building that genuine connection, and but also that you appreciate the work that I'm helping you yeah. with, that you feel really connected to your counselor and makes it that you're actually doing the work. I had a client yesterday who said, if you tell me what I'm supposed to do, I'm more likely to do it than if I have to like, tell myself to do it. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like, oh, you trust my judgment or the help that I'm helping you yeah. with that you'll actually... An instructor, if your instructor tells you to do this assignment, you're going to do it. The same way they think of it. If you tell me that I need to stop doing blank or work on stop doing blank, I'm actually going to really follow through because right. I trust your guidance. Right. So that's the piece of like kind of feeling appreciated, feeling like I'm actually really helping someone. I was thinking about that concept with my own personal therapist as well of uh, what do I want to provide my future clients? And even kind of outside of that realm, how do I want to show up in the world? How do I want to appear to the people around me? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's all we do day in and day out, right? Is yeah. relate to other people. Um, and the way that I start to think about my counselor now is she exists in my head. Mm -hmm. I can hear her voice and I can kind of talk to that voice mm -hmm. when I'm like, eh, this may be me falling back into old routines. So... That's kind of what I want to be able to provide as well, not just to clients, but to everyone in my life, that they know me enough mm -hmm. and can kind of create a version of me in their heads. And I think that's just a, an interesting little way to conceptualize things. But I have clients who say that, like I, my client who wants to like meet me in real life mm -hmm. is like, I'm at work and she'll tell me the whole story of what happened at work but then and then it goes but I heard you in my head tell me to do mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z so I said okay well what would Tanisha tell me to do okay let me go do that instead and I'm like you guys really have this like living version of me running in your head right and it helps you to function in the way that gets you to the goal you want mm -hmm. I think of it when I work with kids my name will be at dinner tables that I'm not even sitting at so it's like okay I'm impacting you and your family in a way that helps you to operate in a way that is more productive than what you are operating in. Now, I believe that there's power in the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that are told to us. And as fast as our modern society has become, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to retell ourselves the whole story every time. So we take shortcuts. And those typically look like little phrases that remind us not of every detail, but of the general feeling that those stories invoked the first time. I'm sure you're all very familiar with these little aphorisms, and most of the time that we hear them, we say, yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand what you mean. At least I do. Take early to bed, early to rise, for example. We all know what someone means when they say that, you know, you need to be rested, so on and so forth. But to the person who says it, those words mean something more than just the words. They invoke a feeling. And so I think these little phrases can be important reminders for us as social creatures. Dr. Greenidge and I discussed some of the phrases we tell ourselves and why. Some kind of aphorism that you like, uh, that you kind of always come back to. For example, uh, one of mine is, uh, slow is fast. Mm -hmm. I, um, am a very impatient person. Mm -hmm. I, when I get an idea in my head, even if, even the big ideas, I'm like, okay, let's get it. Let's, let's go now, 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 now. If I'm not, if I don't have that right now, I'm failing. Mm -hmm. So slow is fast is kind of, uh, it's become a little bit of a mantra for me to say, no. It's okay to be working towards something, and you don't have to be so attached to what that something is. Okay. Just have an idea and keep worrying about the 10 feet in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have any phrases like that that you come back to and why? 
Mine, so mine developed in my doc program. In my doc program, I supervised two school counseling internship students. Mm -hmm. And I try to be a positive person. Like every little bit counts of it. And they would tell a story about their day. And then they'll, in there, there'll be like little strides that they have made, but they kind of overlook that mm -hmm. and tell me how everything was bad. And I'm like, but in the midst of all of that, you made this positive change or this went towards the direction you wanted. So mine has always developed and it's like a running joke with us of little strides. Every time I would meet mm -hmm. them, I wouldn't even realize it. They're like, I think of you every time. Cause I think of what little strides that I made make today. So I think my, that one's mine just cause yeah, there's a lot of like bad things that we experience, mm -hmm. but somewhere in there, there's some kind of little like victories that you're having yeah. throughout the day. They're trying to focus, focus on those instead of the negative piece, still giving space to like the things that didn't go so well. Maybe you just don't, discount those yeah they're still there and they're still important yeah and i think a lot of the times we discount the ones that like the the little strides that we make the little pieces that like make the day good yeah and we spend all of our time on the negative yeah so mine is like okay what little strides did i have today the day was like crappy mm -hmm. but what piece of that was actually not that bad so that has always been mine i hope you enjoyed this story and I know I will remember to pay attention to the little strides I make day in and day out. I hope you can do the same. Another special thank you to Dr. Greenidge for her time, and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe on Spotify or leave a review on Apple Podcasts.